as people continue to trickle in, um, maybe it's a good time to see what questions, if any, arose uh, related to the practice last week. If it's your first time here, uh, we're in the midst of a four-week series about the practice of zazen, um, sort of gradually making our way um, to shikantaza. Um, I'll get more into that shortly, but it's a good time for just a couple of questions, if anything's on your mind. Yeah. You know, and what exactly makes it different than other forms of or practices in meditation? Great. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, of course. So the question, the question is, uh, what, it, yeah, what is zazen and how does it differ from other, other practices? Yeah, fabulous question. Who else has this one? Because I imagine it's out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in good company. <laughs> um, za, za means uh, seated, seat, zen, seated zen. So the seated practice of zen. Another way of saying that is it's Zen meditation, but that doesn't really clarify the, the what, what does that actually mean, right? It, it really does, it really is. Um, it is open to interpretation. One of the broadest definition I ever heard, and then I'll get more specific, um, is that Zazen is big enough to include all practices. That's pretty vast, right? Doesn't really tell us how to do it, but, um, it's a, it's a very, very broad category. One subset of zazen that we're making our way toward is a, a different Japanese word called shikantaza, uh, which is rendered something like just holy sitting. So the, the basic practice of zazen is to completely embody and be aware of what's happening in this moment of experience. And then one way we might talk about other practices, there are different ways then to um, attention and awareness. Yeah. You. You're welcome. Yes. If zazen embodies all other practices, does it inherently require you to keep your eyes open while you practice? If it embodies all other practices, does it inherently require you to keep your eyes open? I'm, I'm repeating, so in case there are folks in the back who might not hear. Um, inherently require? No, no way. Okay. No way. Um, and it's a, it's a really old tradition in our school. I think I said last time, there's this great, great teaching by Do, uh, our Japanese founder. His teacher in China said, um, if you can meditate for 50 years without getting drowsy, then go ahead and close your eyes. Um, so the, it just happens to be the school's way, to, and there are certain functions that fulfills. Sure, sure. Maybe time for one more. Yes, hi. Um, so you said what uh, za means. What does, what does the word zen mean, or where, where does that come from? Yeah, yeah, where does the word zen come from? The, um, the way that the tradition tells this story is uh, it's sort of a, the, there's an etymological story that moves from early, early, early Buddhist word, jhana, uh, concentration, and it was really unfortunate when they started when they started translating that word in English. Like right at the beginning, they called it trance, and we've been reckoning with that ever since. Um, but jhana is a it's a particular form of concentration practice or samadhi. Uh, I have been given to understand that that became the word dhyana, Sanskrit, and then in China it became chan, 
and then Sean became Zen. That's one story. I'm sure it's more complicated than that. Thank you, thank you, welcome. Um, my curiosity has peaked. How many are here for the first time? Nice, nice, welcome, welcome, special welcome to you. Yeah, you're joining at a, a good time because we're talking about the foundational practice of Zen. Uh, and that is Zazen, seated meditation. Um, we can begin with just a very, I'm gonna give the shortest of reviews of what we did last week. Um, if, you, if you haven't heard what we did last week, don't worry. This sort of stands alone, the way we're talking about it. And um, if you were here last week, you'll notice how it builds on what we did. But I'd like to, um, before the review, begin just, just sort of to invoke some of the, the ancient words of the tradition. I've already talked about Dogen, who founded our tradition in Japan, and then his teacher, Ru Jing. This was a, another teacher around that time who Dogen respected quite a lot. His name is Hong Zhu, and he was a, a Chinese master. And this is a, this is a translation by a, a, a monk named Taigen Dan Layton. And this little bit is called The Practice of True Reality. The practice of true reality is simply to sit serenely in silent introspection. When you have fathomed this, you cannot be turned around by external causes and conditions. This empty, wide open mind is subtly and correctly illuminating, spacious and content, without confusion from inner thoughts of grasping, effectively overcome habitual behavior and realize the self that is not possessed by emotions. You must be broad-minded, whole without relying on others. It goes on from there. I'm gonna take the liberty of not explaining any of that and uh, just sort of having the words of Hongjir perfume the room for us before we begin. So to review some of the key points from last time, we discussed that we're in the midst of this kind of gradual practice leading us to just sitting. Uh, that zazen is vast and can include every bit of our experience, pleasant, unpleasant, what we think should or should not be involved in our zazen can be part of our zazen. Zazen's big enough for everything. Zazen includes both what is happening and our relationship to what's happening. And the way this was paraphrased by uh, a Japanese teacher from the last century, it can be any which way, but it has to be just as it is. I could chew on that for a while. So we enter into this process of practice, as I said, by contributing our attention to what's happening here and now. We create a stable, upright, and alert container with our body. We express our awareness with our body, and then we practice it. And then we focused ourselves on the breathing, provided our, provided our attention with a home base, an anchor, a place to rely that's, in one manner of speaking, right at the center of our being. And then that was the basic practice, 
the skill of connecting with the breathing and then staying connected with the breathing. Or I talked about it as like tuning in to the sensations of the breathing and then staying close. Staying close, that's the basic skill with the breathing. So today we're going to broaden our gait just a little bit. For the third time mentioning Dogen, uh, one recent translator quoted him as saying, uh, the awareness of the body, mindfulness of the body, is the body's mindfulness. It's the body's awareness. And what we're going to practice today, I think, puts us more and more in touch with the sensate experience, the awareness that's already here and embodied. So we'll tune into that. You may hear me uh, switch back and forth. I'll probably use awareness and mindfulness more or less synonymously. So by the, maybe I'll say just uh, as I look around the room, it, if you want, you can take a few minutes to make yourself comfortable. We're gonna be here for maybe 15 minutes before the next stretch break. So um, whatever that takes, if it's, if it's kneeling, adjusting your posture, putting a jacket or a cushion under a, a knee that's floating up, but you know, take care of yourselves while you're here. Nice. Yeah, first principle of Zen and all Buddhist practice is not harming, including our precious cargo here. So uh, by testimony of many, many respected practitioners over the ages, there's a long list of benefits of the practice of mindfulness of the body, which is what we're focusing on today. One puzzling thing, again, that I won't unpack is by this, um, I think he's a medieval Zen teacher named Menzan, and he said that the posture itself is complete enlightenment. Something a little less puzzling than that, in the... Um, in this ancient collection of teachings called the Anguttara Nikaya, the Buddha has this whole list of short teachings in which he lists one after the next. He's like, if you cultivate one thing, it will lead to this benefit. It will lead to uh, all wholesome qualities that pertain to true knowledge. What's the one thing you cultivate? Mindfulness of the body. And then he does this over and over again. He's like, oh, if you cultivate this one thing, it will give a strong sense of urgency. It will give great good. It will lead to great security, awareness, attainment of true knowledge. It will lead to a pleasant dwelling in this very life. And he goes on and on, the tranquility of the mind, tranquility of the body. And then one after the next, it leads to obtaining wisdom ripening wisdom, penetrating wisdom, just over and over. He does this 41 times. It's pretty amazing. That's quite an endorsement, I think, that come from the Buddha. With an encouragement like that, the natural question is, what's the approach? Like, how, how do we practice mindfulness of the body such that it bears these kinds of benefits, these, kind of, these kinds of fruits? first principle that we'll explore is just like the breathing, 
The body is always in the present moment. If you're aware of the body, then you know you're here. You know you're here. And as Venerable Analio puts it, the most crucial aspect, maybe, of mindfulness practice is being in the present moment, being with what's actually here and now. So if you're with the body, you're doing it. You're doing it. The second thing I observe is that being aware of the body, here and now, can be a practice that actually is really nourishing for the body and for the mind. Um, I want to do a quick exercise to give, you, give a sort of felt sense of this before we, before we go on. So um, if you're comfortable, you can close, close your eyes. And I would suggest like um, relaxing your hands and holding them apart. Uh, I told you to close your eyes too soon so you can see what I'm doing. So you can rest your hands in your lap, palms up, and not touching. And then when you're ready, you can take a gentle breath. Just a moment to connect with the breathing, sensing the breathing. So the exercise first is to pick one of your hands, let's say the left, and direct your attention to the palm of your hand. Alert to whatever sensations are there, right in the palm. It could be a tingle, vibration, Could be firmness, could be pulsing. Maybe the coolness of the temperature, maybe warmth. Whatever it is. Feeling that touch of curiosity in the mind, what's there now? And then relaxing the gaze just slightly to let the attention roam all around the hand. Wherever the attention wants to go, maybe up and down the fingers, around the back. Feeling your way into the sensed hand. Not staring at it from up top, but feeling it from the inside. And then you can relax the attention still further and sense the entire hand at once. Whatever's there. And then pausing and briefly, can sense that there's been some, likely, there's been some relaxation that's happened in that left hand. Maybe without your knowing. Maybe you can sense the feeling in both hands. 
Maybe the left is slightly more relaxed than the right now. Just by virtue of paying attention to it. You can switch to the right hand. And proceed in a similar way. Not watching the hand, sensing the hand. And when you're ready, you can take a deep breath and open your eyes. So it's a simple exercise, yeah, but you may have been able to sense just in, just in attending to the hands for a moment that some little bit of nourishment already coming into the system. Maybe in a sense of relaxation in one hand and the other. And I think this points to, the fact, uh, points to something about the practice of attending to the body, being aware of the body. And that's that we can create a safe space for ourselves with this body. Before we go on, just a, if you're willing, just a quick popcorn from a couple of people. Anything you noticed while doing that exercise? You just shout it out if you want. Richness of sensation. Yeah, great. Others, what else? What else? I'm still watching the hand. Still watching? Great. Yeah. It can be both. Yeah. Can you be realized and aware when you do yoga? Uh huh. How unaware we sometimes are of the body. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, what else was going on? recognition of that so that I sort of had multiple levels going on mm -hmm. there's the relaxation there's the sense of the relaxation so I sort of felt and when I step back another time I feel like that's when I relaxed more yeah yeah what I'm what I'm hearing is that there were levels of experience going on and there was some degree of toggling between them yeah and actually we're going to get into just that very shortly okay. <laughs> thank you very much so, um, you know, last time when we were working with the breathing, I highlighted two key skills. That, that of connecting with the sensations of the breathing and then staying connected. Um, other language for that can be like directing attention and then uh, sustaining attention or rubbing the attention. For what we're going to do today, the two key skills with mindfulness of the body that I want to emphasize Many more will present themselves, but these two I really want to highlight. Number one is recognizing uh, sensation. And recognizing sensation as 
in the moment as pleasant or unpleasant. It adds, adds a little layer. But you can, you, can tune, you can tune into the hand and feel the present sensations. Some of them are likely pleasant, some are unpleasant. It's a very, very um, straightforward sounding exercise with a lot of liberating potential. So the first skill is to have that sensitivity, to recognize pleasant and unpleasant sensation as it's happening. The second complementary skill is to not be swayed by pleasant and unpleasant. That's a little trickier. How do we stay upright uh, when the influence of pleasant and unpleasant is active? So those are the, those are the two key skills. There's this Zen saying about the wide receptive mind that can be with pleasant and unpleasant. And that is uh, the body exposed to the golden wind. The way I'm uh, thinking about this now is that the, um, anything can blow through. Anything can blow through. And the body is a big enough container to have any experience come and then any experience go. Awareness of the body and particularly tuning into pleasant and unpleasant and then remaining upright, not being influenced by them. It deals head on with two of the most common challenges with meditation. And actually, uh, to speak for myself, my entire life. And that is the influence of sense desire and the influence of aversion. It's easier to talk about aversion, aversion first. Though, I was, on, I was on a walk today as I was um, you know, preparing. One of my teachers says he likes to take walks to go find his Dharma talks. And I had that same feeling. I was over in Hayes Valley and I saw one of those sandwich boards. And on the sandwich board outside the store it says, do you heart comfort? Check yes or yes. Is that amazing or what? Someone set that up for me. And that's, that's exactly it. Like that's the, the influence is so there. We're, we're wired actually to, to respond to comfort, to have, to have pleasant and unpleasant sensations move through our body. And then that, that has a pull. And right there at the pull is where a profound amount of freedom can happen. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Example on the other side, this pleasure. Example on the other side, classic, the rope and snake thing. People have heard this one before probably. You're walking along, say you're walking along in the woods and uh, there's, a, there's a, a, a rope or a stick across the trail, but you happen to catch a glimpse of it far enough away, before you even think snake, your body has already recoiled and your adrenals are going, right? You have already sent yourself to survive. And that's a, that's a great thing. Like we need to be able to rely on some abbreviated information when our life is on the line. Um, but that's, that's the exact other side of this mechanism. Pleasure, pain, and its influence. What we're looking for here, to be aware of pleasant and unpleasant, and then how to remain upright 
when the body is flushed with pleasant sensation and you're like, I really want X. Or I just can't stand another moment of Y. How do we stay? Part of why this is so powerful is because it's happening all day. All day, morning, from the time we get up to the time we go to sleep. It's probably happening while we're asleep, responding to pleasure and pain. Um, so that, that means that the, 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 the effects of this particular practice are really without limit. You know, it's not, it's not that our responses to pleasure and pain are, are bad per se, um, but when we, when we, let's say, uh, are persuaded by them, when we're persuaded by pleasant and unpleasant, we reinforce that conditioning, whatever it happens to be. And for every moment of noticing that there's pleasant and unpleasant and just remaining aware, <coughs> even for a short time, we're deconditioning its influence. And what this really means is then we get, we get choice in the matter. Rather than pleasant and unpleasant uh, driving us, we get to drive it, at least to some greater degree. To borrow a phrase from Thich Nhat Hanh, this is part of the magic of mindfulness, that Pleasant and unpleasant neither indicates that anything has gone wrong and all of it can be food for our mindfulness if we, if we know what's happening while it's happening. Um, an image I recently came across was a, a motion detector light, you know, the kind that are like uh, corners of buildings or whatever. Um, I remember when I was a kid, I would go out in uh, nighttime and like feed the cat or something and I would come within the scope of the, of the sensor and the light would <coughs> kick on. The light doesn't care what's there, it just responds to motion. So in the same way, like our light of awareness can shine on whatever comes and shine on it enough that we can clearly see what's there. And that's all it's asking. That's food for mindfulness, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. I'm going to shift just a little bit because I have a hunch there are some unpleasant sensations sitting still. Why don't we stand up and stretch just for a minute and then can come back to your seat. And when, when you do sit down, no rush, um, set yourself up in a way where you'll be more or less comfortable for about 10 minutes of meditation.
And for this meditation, I'm going to walk us through a couple of different modes of mindfulness of the body. So you can, have a, you can have a sense or a flavor of different ways that you can work with this. We'll start, uh, we'll start as we always do by setting up the posture. Most important is an alert spine. The trunk and the shoulders and the head all aligned. And if you tuck the chin just a touch, it can help the, the head not to tug on the other parts of the body. Balanced left to right, balanced front to back. Eyes with a soft gaze open. Mouth closed gently. And when you get there, Take one, two, three deep breaths, just to settle all the more fully into this body. settling the attention into the breathing. However the breathing presents. first mode. You can gently let go of the breathing in favor of whatever the strongest sensation is in your body. If that's too intense, maybe pick the third strongest sensation. Wherever it is, just stay with it. Sensing, feeling. Just like we did with the hand, you can let the attention move around that sensation. If it fades, the sensation fades, just come back to the breathing until the next strong sensation comes. 
while you're connected with a strong sensation, notice if there's any commentary going on, a story about, or a story in response. That's just fine. You can let that be in the background and in the foreground. Sensations here, now. Let's all return to the breathing, letting go of any strong sensation. And deliberately relax any tension that's built up in the body. Second mode of mindfulness of the body is to tune into the entire body, the global felt sense of the body, the whole body breathing, the whole body sitting. If the whole body isn't available, perhaps the whole trunk from the shoulders to the hips. Here we are shifting the aperture of our awareness. Still sensing and feeling, but notice for yourself, what's different about this? Is it more relaxed? Is it a little too vague? Does it feel just right? And then again, teasing apart sensation from commentary. 
letting the body remain in the foreground. And for the last half a minute, whichever of these modes you prefer, global attention, more specific attention, or attention to the breathing. So just a comment, and then I'll have some more time for questions before we move into the next piece. And that comment is, um, the, de the deconditioning process that we're describing, the sensations don't have to be super intense for it to be working. If you're aware of the present moment sensations that are here in the body, and you remain upright and non-reactive with them, you're doing the work. You're doing the work. Um, yeah, so you don't always have to go after being mindful of the most difficult thing, just to say. Yeah, any, um, any comments you want to share about this section or any questions about what we've, we've covered so far? Yes? Uh-huh. Sure, sure, a couple things. Uh, uh, first, um, how are they doing? Are they okay? Your feet falling asleep? Yeah. Um, you know, in terms, in terms of the operation of the mind, we'll go there first and then we'll talk about the body. In terms of the operation of the mind, the, the, those sensations are so distinct and intense, it seems perfectly natural that the attention would be drawn there. Um, what was happening for you while that happened? Uh, fell into your ankles. You became an ankle. <laughs> That's a fabulous outcome. Yeah, that, it sounds like there wasn't a whole lot of commentary. There wasn't maybe there wasn't a lot of fighting what was going on. Yeah, then then that is yeah, that's just what we're talking about. Caveat being, let's make sure we're taking care of our body, our bodies when we're sitting. I know we're a little, we're a little bit limited in terms of gear for this number of people, but it, it really does, um, it pays off in a big way to have the gear you need and discover the posture that really works for your bod. If you're, um, 
under the circumstances we're in, yeah, if, uh, if anyone needs to move, wiggle, anything, go ahead and do it. And then we're, we're much better set up for a group this size down in the zendo, but it's also in the meditation hall, but it's also not so good for presenting. So if you want to come and experiment with your posture with others, the meditation hall is a good place to be. Yeah, yeah. Yes? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks for asking. So the, the question was, when, when trying to do what I was calling the second mode, sort of global attention, should, should, we be, should our attention be jumping from sensation to sensation? Is that, is that what you're asking? I think that's a valid way to do it. That's a valid way to do it. There's this, part of what I'm hoping to show with these two different modes is that there's really a spectrum of application of attention from very, very focused to very, very open and receptive. And you can toggle. Part of what we're going to get to with, with Shikantaza, the, the last form of meditation, is everything is just completely wide open. But we're, we're getting there kind of slowly. In terms of, um, yeah, tell me a little bit more about what you noticed in terms of Sure, sure. Um, I don't think that one is necessarily the, the right one here. I think either way, with the, with the method we're going to take, I think either one serves the purpose. Yeah, so you, you wouldn't need to direct the attention necessarily to stay on whatever, whatever the prevailing sensation is. Um, I, it sounds interesting to me. Part of what I heard is there's the experience of being global and there's this layer of specific sensation happening at the same time. That, that sounds really fruitful to me and sort of speaks to what you were saying about layers of experience. Yeah. Yes? Sure. Things kind of fade out. Yeah. So, what to do with the eyes is basically the basically the question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zach made this really handy distinction between. Gosh, he did three, and I don't remember them all. Um, looking and seeing. Like looking, I can, I'm conveying, conveying it non-verbally. And then seeing can be a, a receptive eye. Now, and it, in, on a basic level, we're preferring the receptive eye when we're, when we're sitting uh, zazen. The extent to which... This is, this is, this is um, for me, this is kind of yummy territory we're getting into. Um, the extent to which the, the contact at the eye, the stimulation of the eye, then produces something in the mind, so whether it's a simple recognition or a story or something else, that's, that's a whole field of practice. It's like, what, what's the function of each of the senses and how do they, how do they play with the whole mind? Um, 
I think something, if the, if the eye isn't finding its way toward relaxation, then um, I think for, for moments or short stretches at a time, you can close your eyes and let the, let the muscles of the eye sort of relax. Sometimes even like relax the whole eyeball and behind the eyeball and let all, let all that relax and then try really gently opening back up, almost like fluttering open. Yeah. Does that address what you're asking or did I miss? it too gets to be included. What we're, what we're headed toward is all six in, in the Dharma, five, five outer senses and then the mind is a sixth sense organ. What we're headed toward with Shikantaza is all six sense gates are wide open and everything gets to come through, just like the golden wind. So bit by bit, we're learning how to be with all that. So this here and then here. Yeah. Well, you said peace is part of the commentary on sensation. Yes. Uh, at first, I was trying to focus on sensation, and I tried, I guess, naturally on the end of that first, like you did with some of the exercise, but I felt like that that was more commentary. Uh-huh. And then I tried visualizing it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Visualizing it as commentary. Oh, great question. Yeah, yeah, th- this, is, this is some good territory. So the, the question is, um, uh, more, you, were de- you were describing the experience of, of attending to sensation um, and then having, it sounded like a, a label come up to sort of stay with. Is that commentary? It's one question. And then you thought, oh yeah, maybe that is commentary. So then going for image and being like imagining. I appreciate the ingenuity. One of the one of the like key skills of meditative development is being able to solve problems <laughs> in your inner landscape. So the willingness to experiment goes a really long way. And um, both the things you describe, I think, are are well supported. Um, the so that that generally first, and then to say about let's go with the comment thing. Um, dependent upon how busy the mind is when you sit down and how active the mind is you may sit down and it's like you're writing the great American novel or something it's just like you're you're just really busy in the mind if that's the case a very simple thought here, here, here sensation, sensation can actually give the mind something to settle down on compared to busyness. If, on the other hand, your mind is just like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sense you're feeling your breath in the belly and it's just like, you're there the whole time. Then the label, not useful, not useful. Uh, it, in, in, the, in the sense that it complicates your experience rather than help simplify it. If the image does that same thing for you, it seems like a, a useful tool. Um, and then, strictly spe- speaking, with shikantaza, I don't think there's any any labeling or any labeling or any image used. But I think uh, useful tools on the way. Yeah. Oh, 
Yes, one more, and then we'll go to the next bit. Oh, yeah, good question. Um, how do you know if drowsiness is, is sleepiness or aversion? Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> That's tricky. That's tricky. Uh, there's no easy answer, actually. Yeah, I'm sorry to say. Um, one way that uh, one of my teachers suggests finding out is in the context of a retreat. The first day, just sleep as much as you want. Just like way more than you need. <laughs> and so on the second day, if, you, if you're still getting sleepy, you know something else is going on. So it could be resistance, it could be lethargy, something else. Um, but yeah, you know it's not the sleepiness thing. So that approach is like process of elimination. Um, in terms of what, yeah, what practically to do there, uh, I think I, I may have said this, said this before, but you can experiment with sitting at different times of the day if that's available to you. And you may find that your energy is like perfect at a certain time of the day. And um, I think a lot of us, the second half of morning zazen from like 6.10 to 6.40 is the hardest time of the day to stay awake. We're like there from 5.40 to 6.10 and then 6.10 starts and everyone's like, so, you know, yeah. Ready for the next bit? Should we stand up? Yeah, let's stand up. So there's this very, very, very old Buddhist teaching. The story goes something like, Buddha asks a monk, if you were struck with a dart, if you're struck with an arrow, would that hurt? That's not the end of the teaching. The monk goes, well, yes, of course, of course it would. If you were then struck with a second in the same place, would that be worse? Would that hurt worse? I'm, I'm turning this into colloquial English. This is not what the Buddha said. Um, and the monk says, yes, yes, of course. The, the, second, the second arrow would hurt worse. 
the initial experience of unpleasant, the Buddha then labels as the first arrow. And all the ways that we compound and complicate on top of it, that's the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth arrow. First arrow is the, the measure of suffering that is just unavoidable. The measure of stress and suffering that's unavoidable. And then there's all the ways like we take what we get there and we make just a suffering salad out of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thinking especially of, I think of my work life in this regard. I don't know if this is ringing any bells for any of you. Um, but there can be these scenarios where anger will come. And they, I, don't, I don't know the origin of this, the, the characterization of anger as a poison arrow with a honeyed tip. Anyone ever heard this? Where it would just be like, oh, I know that the thing that I'm going to do during this conflict is to like tell them this. I'm really going to say, mm. And how does that pan out, you know? It complicates. I mean, it's a social example about how we, take, how we take a difficult situation that's already stressful and then we just like pile it on. And we, we know better than that, but sometimes we still do it anyway. So there's, that, there's a social example and then there's this example of our inner life. And that's really what I, what I wanna talk about is the, some of what comes along with having a human body is these really painful inner things called difficult emotions. And connected with our practice of mindfulness of the body, there's a way that we can be with those difficult emotions, however unpleasant. We can be with them, and then maybe occasionally we complicate them. We take a difficult emotion and we sort of pile a judgment on top or an evaluation on top or uh, further emotions. I wanna say right at the outset, the process of complicating, it's not any of our fault. It's not my fault, you know? It's a, it's a mostly impersonal process that I complicate my emotional life. But the potential of something like mindfulness of the body is we can start to see, the, see those little moments of choice where we, have, we can have an influence. Where maybe the difficult emotion arises and I have that moment of pause before that thing comes out of my mouth. Or I have that really big upwelling of sadness and I decide, you know, now is the time. I'm just gonna totally be here with this. I'm not gonna push it away. I'm not gonna egg it on necessarily, but I'm gonna hold it like my dear friend in my arms and just give my sadness its time in the light of awareness. And when we do that, we decondition the complicating process, the extra suffering that piles on top. I think our emotional life, it goes without saying, is just unbelievably important in a human, in a human life. Um, thing, I mean, the whole spectrum is just amazing, just amazing from rapture and love and devastation. Like the whole spectrum, it's amazing. Um, 
part of the beauty of mindfulness, part of the beauty of awareness practice is that it doesn't condemn anything and it doesn't condone anything. So a difficult emotion comes, that's what's here. That's the truth of this moment, you know? I think that's pretty radical. In, uh, in the world where, where we're, we're often, like we're, we're very strongly encouraged to live in a for or against mode. This is the secret third option, which is, the, which is a pathway to freedom, which is awareness of what's here. It's radical. It's so simple. The connection with mindfulness of the body The practice is so similar when it comes to practicing with emotion. A lot of the time, we'll, we'll know our emotions, usually, one of two ways. We're going to know them through sensation. Some strong sensation is going to come in the body. Or we're going to know them through a story or an image. And then those really wiggle together. If you ever spend time like really teasing apart an emo what an emotional experience is in the moment, those are two of the key factors. You've got an image or a story and you've got what's going on in your body. And the practice with mindfulness of the body helps us tease that apart. And it's not to like take it apart and destroy it. It's so that we don't fuel what harms us any, any more than we have to. So the practice is just the same with the body. If we're dealing with emotions, it can be helpful to have that sort of broad global awareness I was talking about with the whole body, because the whole body is big enough to hold anything. The whole body is big enough to hold the emotion. Um, sometimes when I'm, when I'm considering mindfulness of emotions, I, I'm reminded of this. There's this big, big river where I grew up um, just, it was really broad. It's one of these rivers that's so big that like, it looks like it's not moving because it's so big. And sometimes the rains would come and it would just like whoosh, this big torrent of a river. And then sometimes it would just be so smooth like a lake, you know? And that's the variety, but whether it was fast or slow, whether it was intense or it was calm, that riverbed was big enough to hold the whole thing. And the body, the proposition here is that the body is like the riverbed and that the emotional life comes through. Sometimes it's intense and sometimes it's too placid, but the, the body can hold it. The body can accompany it. The riverbed doesn't grasp onto any part of the water and be like, oh, I'm keeping this one. Just lets it pass right through. Mindfulness of emotions, it's a simple practice, but it is really, really not easy. Um, part of the trick with emotions is we, um, they're motivators, emotion. They're, mo they're like, it's really hard to stay on a cushion. I don't know what percentage of me wants to like jump off the cushion and do whatever I'm feeling. The other tricky part is that they, they kick up so much commentary. It's really, when the, when the emotional life is really going, it's, it's, easy to get, it's easy to get up in the story. And that's where our self-kindness comes in, just to keep coming back 
and to know no matter how many times we keep coming back, that's just the practice. No problem. No problem. If we, um, if we take the route of um, making that a problem, that's, that's another arrow. And then if we make it a problem that we made it a problem, that's an arrow too. You can see that there's like infinite regress there. So the practice with emotions, you'll notice it's very similar to the embodied mindfulness practice we're doing so far, but put in other language, the task is to uh, recognize, maybe you've heard this before, some of you, accept or allow to feel and then tease apart. Um, so recognize, that's our basic practice of mindfulness, to know what's happening here while it's happening. Accept or allow that that's not condone, that's, oh yeah, this really is happening right now. I'm going to accept that this really is happening. So really it's like recognize again, but now, you're, now you believe it. There's something, there's something with allow that uh, also touches on the fact that we're not in conflict with the fact that this is what's up now. In some sense, we give it permission to be there. And then feeling is what we've been doing all day. Sensing, sensing into. One teacher says, feeling from the inside out, sensing from the inside out rather than the outside in. And then to tease apart. Parse the commentary from the sensation. And something that's really, I mean, if, if, if you want to go there, something that's really enticing about working with emotions is that there's so much to pay attention to. There's so much going on, going on there that layer after layer can be revealed. So to recognize, accept, feel, and to tease apart. And as we make our way into just one more guided meditation, the notion with emotions, mindfulness of emotions, same as with mindfulness of the body. It's that a simple, straightforward, straightforward awareness, a simple, straightforward awareness of what's happening here, without reacting, deconditions the ways that we complicate. It deconditions how we take a tough situation and make it worse. Or we take a pleasant situation and we're like, glue ourselves to it. So let's do, let's do one more meditation. You may want to stretch your legs out as you're getting into posture. This one will be briefer, just about five minutes. Aware of the body. In this posture. Letting the attention rest on the body. As the body rests on the seat. 
And with your few deep breaths, just posing the question to yourself, is there any emotion present for me now? If not, maybe is there any mood in the background? A little bit of happiness, sadness, tension or fear. Little whispers of anger. Whatever's there. And the question, mindfulness of emotion asks us, how do I know this emotion through the body? What am I sensing? What's the constellation of sensations that indicates this emotion? And staying in touch as that shifts and changes. Letting any commentary stay in the background. And if that emotion disappears, they all do eventually. Notice what takes its place in awareness. And if the emotion moves through and nothing is calling the attention, just come back to the breathing. for this last minute or so. Letting go of any particular emotion there.
And in a second mode, just offering yourself a little bit of kindness. little bit of kindness directed to the self. I see you. I care. May you be happy. And just like with the hand exercise, it's my experience that once we start tuning into these different facets of our experience, so much is revealed. So much to so much to attend to, so much to work with. It just keeps going. You know, we've talked about a, a few different aspects of experience with the hope of you know, gradually incorporating everything in what will be quite a simple meditative practice, but with some facility and fluency with these different bits of our experience. So as we go, it might, you know, it might feel a little busy at times. Oh, we're doing this. So oh, now we're doing this. It's going, to, it's going to get simpler and simpler. A lot of this is um, showing, showing you uh, what muscles you have and um, different, ways to, different ways to relate to them. Something you can carry forward as a, as a basic practice as you move from, from this week to the next. One way to incorporate more or less everything that we've done is to take as the main, your main meditation object the, the whole breathing body as like a home base. And then when something predominant in terms of body sensation or in, in terms of emotion, something comes up that's strong, then just completely give your attention and awareness to that. And then when that fades out, just come back to your home base. If the whole breathing body is a home base, it isn't quite right for you right now. It could be just the breathing. Just the breathing. Breathing, start to finish, is a complete meditation practice all on its own. Mindfulness of the body, complete meditation practice on its own. In some ways, we don't need all this stuff that I'm talking about. And uh, I also see that there, there, is, there is a benefit to getting to know these different aspects of experience and um, these different, different approaches to meditating. So, I think we've got about five minutes. If there are some more, more questions, comments, shares, 
I've been doing more of the talking than we do during a normal Yaz session because these are like 90 minute instructions. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah. Great, great. I'm glad you named that. Anybody else get into striving? Cool. Yeah, it does. It, it, it is a it is a thing. Um, yeah. So the the way that the way that striving can come forward when the when the request of practice is to be with what's here and not react. And then there's this effort, right? And then the, the study is, there's a, there's a spectrum of effort. And only you are really gonna know how much is too much. There's an art to uh, what Suzuki Roshi called t adjusting the flame, where you're giving, you're giving just enough effort uh, the criteria for too much and too little, have you introduced grasping into the, into the scenario? And grasping, you'll, you'll, the, more you, the more you practice with it, the more you'll start to recognize grasping in the body. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be as much, um, not saying this necessarily for you, but it may be, it may be uh, grasp, it, not so much grasping as a mental thing that you need to think you need to avoid, complicated sentence on purpose, um, but you can sense into the fact that, okay, my effort really has gone too far and I'm, I'm gripping in a way that's not healthy. And you, come to, you just come to be familiar with how much is too much. One more layer of complication, it changes over time. And as you become more sensitive to everything. Um, so sometimes really intense effort is needed and it's clean. Perfectly clean, no grasping. And sometimes uh, complete surrender is what's called for and seemingly no effort. So it, it's an art, yeah. I seem to be saying that a lot today. Yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. I, I'm so sorry that. I, I work with a back injury that I pretty much, most of the day, I'm in pain. Um, yeah, this isn't, this isn't a, a, a Buddhist answer. This is like, uh, under the guidance of your medical professional, <laughs> engage in the activities that you two think are okay for you. Um, so yeah, there's, there's that layer of like strictly taking care of the body in terms, of, in terms of developing the meditative mind in the way that we're talking about, yeah, it's easy to get the idea of pleasure or pain, no matter what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be here non-reactive, or I'm gonna endure and that's somehow healthy. There's a, to bring in a different mode, there's, um, there's, a, 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 there's a sphere within which our physiology can operate without going into whoa, whoa, emergency mode. And if the pain level gets too high, we get kicked out of that, kicked out of that sphere and our body feels like it's in constant emergency. 
So um, in that sense, really pushing through a bunch of pain, that, um, that's not, not going to be so helpful. If, if the pain is within a manageable level and you're, you're well able to operate, it can actually be really, really freeing to investigate, to investigate pain to the extent that you can stick with it and not weary the mind. So investigating pain and even if it's just for a few minutes, coming to observe, okay, pain is arising and sensing it, sense, 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 and then watch the mind try to do what it does. Run away, push, get angry, cope, like whatever the coping moves are, you can get to know a lot about your mind by staying close to a manageable level of pain, so long as you're not injuring yourself. There's a lot of words, but that last line was really what I was getting at. Is that, is that helpful? Is that what you were asking? Yes. Great. Okay, okay, great, great. Angela. My, mine's more of a comment. Yeah. Um, I like how your talk today all came together. At the beginning, you made a comment about the breath brings us to the now, brings us to the present. Being aware of the body brings us to the now, into the present. And then I thought, well, how is how am I going to bring emotions into, into the present? Because I always think of emotions getting us stuck in the narrative and the story that takes you to a past or a future. Yeah, yeah. And I like how you brought in the wrath, like, or recognizing, allowing, feeling, and teasing. Teasing part, yeah. And I thought it was like almost beautiful as an, an emotional life raft and thinking, bringing that, that story together. So thank you. Nice. Thank you very much. Yeah. Emotions get to be here, too. Mm-hmm. Did you have your, your hand up? Okay. Yeah, that, I was just following the review of what the acronym was, and so she really... Nice. Yeah. Good, good. I, I'm not exactly sure where, but that one's also out there on the Internet. Um, Insight Meditation Center, for sure. Talks about raft. Maybe last one, and then... Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It, it is. I, I'm really glad you brought that in because anxiety, in terms of mindfulness practice, the, the, the logic or the movement with anxiety seems to be different than with, than with um, many other emotions for just the reasons you're naming. There's... Something I've, I've, I've noticed at different times in my own practice is like when I put attention on anxiety, it can grow. Oh, wait a second. We're supposed to have emotions shrink when we pay attention to them. So the movement with the way that I have, the way that I've worked with, with anxiety, um, actually, I employ all of my tools, just everything, because anxiety is hard. It's really hard. Um, and it's tricky. So this like basic regimen of self-care is important. In the meditative life, 
in some ways we can think about anxiety in a similar way to how we think about pain in terms of level of physiological activation. If, if attending to the sensations of anxiety, even on a subtle level, moves the body into deep activation, then it's not the time. It's not the, it's not the time to bring, bring straight mindfulness to that. Couple thing, a couple ways you can titrate or you can experiment with titrating. Consider, consider your awareness and how close your awareness actually is to the sensation of anxiety. And then like zoom out 400 times. So you're actually taking in a huge space. And then a little bit of the sense of anxiety can also maybe be there. But you can toggle in that kind of way if you, if you feel like it's time. And then another way is, is totally indirect, but seems to have worked for, for me. I don't have a basis in this in a text somewhere, but I'm just telling you something that worked for me. Um, is that when the... When I, when I know that attending to anxiety is just gonna uh, intensify it or exacerbate it, I don't pay attention to it at all. I tune, I'll tune into the body. I'll look anywhere in the body for a pleasant sensation and I'll let my attention stay there. It can be like everything in my body is anxious and uncomfortable, but my pinky toe is totally cool right now. <laughs> and I'll let my mindfulness just examine the sensations of my pinky toe. I'm sorry, I'm going on, but uh, a, th a third thing is um, I, I do walking meditation because the, the field is broad. It lets my energy move through the body. Yeah, I was hoping to get to walking tonight, but we didn't quite get there. Yeah, yeah. We seem to have come to time. Um, yeah, I'll stay, I'll stay here if there are uh, uh, any other questions after the fact. Um, you're also welcome to email me or send a question by, via the, the contact form on the Yaz website. You can check that out, yaz.sf.org. I think there may be some announcements somewhere in the room. Ah, 